Welcome to episode three of Fitter and Faster. In this episode, we talk with Didi Griesbauer, three-time Ironman champion and Ultraman world champion. Didi is just a few months away from her 50th birthday. So we spend a large part of this episode talking about how to fight the aging process, how to stay fit and fast, motivated and injury-free whilst your body ages. Didi is a good friend and longtime training partner of mine, and she is also a training machine who knows how to log the big hours and get the most from her body. Okay, let's go. So it's episode three of Fitter and Faster, and we have Didi Griesbauer. Hello, Didi. Thank you for joining us. How's it going? It's going well. Thank you for having me. Excited to be with you. Yeah. So tell us about your day so far. You've probably been doing, knowing you, you've probably done uh, three training sessions already. Actually, only two. I I had a lane booked for 6 a.m. this morning, so I got in my hour of swimming. We're limited right now to an hour, but that is just fine because it's swimming. Um, <laughs> and then one of my squad mates was doing a 5K time trial on the track, so I went over and cheered him on. And then uh, I had a 90-minute bike session that was uh, designed by Matt Bottrell, your last week's guest, actually, and they the squad did it last week. I did not because I was racing Ironman VR, so I had to do it this week, and it was a it was a kick in the pants. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us how you do it. I mean, I know a lot of people are super interested in how somebody who is three months away from turning fifty stays motivated, injury free, and you're still getting fitter and you're still getting faster. So give us a little uh, insight into how you do that, what your training looks like. Um, I, I really, I surrender fully. I'm one of those athletes. Maybe it makes me smart. Maybe it makes me dumb, but I completely surrender to my coach. I just, I, I do what's written and I give feedback on when I'm feeling awful and she accommodates accordingly. Um, I really don't give that much thought. Well, it's not that I don't give thought to it. I don't have that much input to it other than providing feedback. And obviously she sees, you know, I work with Julie Dibbin. She's here in Boulder. So I see her pretty frequently so she can see how I'm moving, see how I'm, um, I'm not a very good poker player. So I wear a lot on my face. And so she can tell if I'm a little off and sometimes will bench me accordingly. Um, she really manages that part of it. Um, I take a very proactive approach in terms of the other things that I can take care of in terms of self-care, uh, strength work, uh, mobility work, um, any kind of preventative exercises, PT type stuff, uh, looking after myself, nutrition, rest, all of those things that go into it. And, and that goes a long way. I certainly would not consider myself injury-free. I have had my fair share of battles with, with injury, which has certainly given me a heightened awareness um, of the things that I need to focus on day in and day out. And it's not the glamorous stuff. I mean, sitting, you know, in one of my, the rooms in my house doing like, you know, PT exercises or work with a foam roller, that's not the glamorous side of sport, but I know that that's the cost of admission for me at this point in my career. Yeah. So that's almost like all the questions I was about to ask you. So yeah, there you go. <laughs> We got the show nicely lined up now, but, um, but I think one of the things I was really keen to ask you about is motivation, right? Because there is something to be said for longevity in, in any sport. Um, and it's very easy to follow a program and like you say, follow a coach, but, um, it's another thing to stay motivated. So give us a little insight into how you stay motivated to do all that training to, and obviously when races are back, you know, to stay, to, to keep racing. Yeah, I, I think, 
I mean, it all starts with just having a, a extraordinary passion for what I do. I feel extremely lucky um, to, to get to do what I'm doing. And I am um, at this stage of my career sort of breaking down some barriers because of my age um, and excited strangely excited for that aspect of it, um, that I can prove what is possible at nearly 50. Um, I know I'm never going to be, you know, I'm never going to win the Ironman world championship. And, and for some people that's their motivation. That's what gets them out of bed in the morning. And, and certainly my motivation has changed. Um, there was a point in my career where being top 10, being top five, that was what drove me. That was what got me out of bed in the morning. And now it is singularly to see what is possible at age 50. Um, can I still compete with women who are, you know, 30, 35, um, and, and be competitive, uh, because it is different. I mean, my, my number one pet peeve is when people say that age is just a number and it is not, it is a very, very real thing. Um, and I am thriving on the challenge of, um, I don't want to say beating age, but, but coming to terms with it and seeing what's possible. Right. Okay. And, um, go on. Uh, and, and I've also had, uh, sort of later in my career, somewhat due to injury, um, discovered some other avenues in sport. Uh, one year I was having a lot of run injuries and Julie introduced me to the 12 hour time trial world, world championship. And that ended up being an extraordinary event for me and sort of opened my eyes to the ultra world. And then earlier this year, I raced Ultraman, um, which was something completely, completely different. Um, aside from it being swim, bike, run, it is nothing like Iron Man, it's nothing like Iron Man 70.3. It's completely different. And that sort of gave me a, a new passion as well. So there, there are new things. There are still new things coming on the horizon for me. And that keeps it exciting. Yeah. So Ultraman Florida was obviously a great race for you. Uh, but tell us, for those people who might be listening to the show, don't know all about it. Tell us a little bit about how it works, what it involves, the distances it, it involves, that kind of thing. Yeah. So Ultraman is a three-day crazy endurance event. Um, so day one is a 10 K swim, 92 mile ride. Uh, day two is 171 mile ride. And day three is a 52.4 mile run and it's self-supported. Uh, so you have a crew, you have to have a crew. Um, they follow along in a van. Um, and that was one of the things that I think was super special about it is just the camaraderie with your crew, uh, because you literally cannot do it without that support. Uh, in triathlon, we often say, you know, it takes a village. Um, but in Ultraman, <laughs> it's the village is mission critical for sure. So um, yeah, so it's across three days. And uh, I signed up for Ultraman Florida had long been on my bucket list doing an Ultraman. I'm, I'm good friends with Hillary Biscay, who won the Ultraman World Championship, I think, I believe twice. Um, and when she did it, I just remember I was doing a training camp in Tucson and had gone to stay with with her and Mikey. And she was doing a talk at a, at a triathlon store. And I went and just sat in the back and listened and was I just immediately just put it on my bucket list. I was like, I have to I have to give that a try. And and it never really seemed to fit. Either I was dealing with an injury or I was so focused on Ironman. And um, it was definitely a case of now or never. So uh, I signed up and competed, was able to compete in February. And it ended up being a, a big blessing, particularly in this environment. I've, I'm one of very few athletes that actually got to race in 2020. <laughs> right. Yeah. And you did all of that in 22 hours and 48 minutes, right? And you broke the, so you're being very modest. You broke the world record. You not only won, but you broke the world record. 
And uh, so how on earth, how long does it take to recover from something like that? <laughs> it depends on who you ask. I felt actually pretty, <laughs> I felt pretty good after about a week um, in terms of, you know, the soreness because you're, it's, it's such a different pace than even an Ironman. Um, the, the, the muscle soreness and the fatigue for me were really gone within about five or six days. And I was sort of chomping at the bit to get back to it, but also knew having been well advised from people who have done Ultraman before that I was nowhere near recovered. And, and I think honestly, my, my training was probably uh, significantly curtailed for probably four to six weeks before we started really kind of getting back to what was normal training. And then of course COVID happened and training has been altered um, because of that. So it's been a, it's been a different year altogether. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so talk to me a little bit about how you're training now, because obviously, you know, I know you're part of Julie Dibbins' squad, and I know some of the other athletes that we've we've spoken to in the last few weeks and during the course of the pandemic have all been saying, like, we're kind of doing base training, take peel back the intensity, dial back the intensity, and just concentrate on the volume. So what does training look like for you now, and how have you, and how as an athlete have you coped during the pandemic? Because obviously there's a lot of people listening who are going through the same thing. Yeah, I've actually turned that sort of upside down for me because um, big volume as someone who specializes really in Ironman and my big focus on Ultraman earlier this year, my volume was already up. So we took the pandemic uh, as an opportunity to get sort of shorter and sharper, uh, which for me is a weakness. I don't do a lot of top end work because Ironman is my focus. So I've actually been on the track a little bit. Um, I've been doing a lot of sort of top end threshold work on the bike, which is sort of an area of discomfort for me. Um, so we've really taken it as an opportunity to, to take up the intensity, uh, which for me is not as specific to my typical training as longer volumes are. So uh, I've been doing a lot more intensity work. Um, I was able to do some strength work. Uh, my strength coach uh, had some equipment in the back of his car. We were able, able to go out to just a park in Boulder. We were allowed outside. So um, socially distanced. Um, I was able to do some strength work through the pandemic. And of course, now with things sort of slowly back uh, opening up, uh, we're sort of getting back to some normal training. <laughs> Yeah. And so what is, uh, what's on the horizon? You know, so what are you training for and what are you hoping to achieve in 2020 and, and beyond? Like what's the, what races do you have lined up if, if we get back to racing this year? Yeah, honestly, I haven't, I haven't really looked. Um, there's so much uncertainty. Um, I had contemplated Ultraman worlds, um, but with so much uncertainty, it's really, really hard both physically and more so emotionally to embrace that challenge um, just because so much goes into Ultraman training. And I have such respect for the distance that I don't want to go in unprepared. So I think if I do Ultraman Worlds, it won't likely be this year. Um, I want to maintain you know, my goal through the pandemic is to maintain a level of fitness such that once races are on the calendar and, and definitive, um, I'm in a position where I can start building towards that race. So right. I am by no means race fit right now, but if you told me that in eight weeks, we're fairly certain that race XYZ is, is going to take place within six to eight weeks, I think I could be race fit. Yeah. Right. So that's, I mean, that's been my goal through the pandemic is to um, walk that line between doing too much, but also completely checking out. So I've tried to stay engaged and focused and, and pick some, 
some small goals, work on my FTP, work on my VO2 max, uh, work on some speed, some agility, some strength, um, but not be so emotionally attached to preparation for a single event um, that I have that singular focus. There has definitely been room for sort of other things in life. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And so talk to us, you're a great swimmer, talk to us about swimming, right? So you're a former Stanford swimmer, uh, Olympic trial swimmer, uh, and obviously, you know, you quite often front pack swimmer in most, most any Ironman race that you, you uh, start. So uh, how, how has it been these last couple of weeks when you've been back in the water? And maybe talk to us a little bit about people who you know, might be able to help people who are just returning to swimming now and obviously finding it after 10 weeks out of the water, obviously finding it pretty difficult. So, yeah, talk to us a little bit about your swim training. Sure. It's I mean, there's there's no way around it. Everyone is going to take a hit in terms of swim fitness. You just you, you cannot maintain swim fitness without water. Um, so you can, you can do stretch cords and Vasa trainer and, and all of those sort of, you know, swim related exercises on dry land to your heart's content, but, but you just simply can't replace the feel of the water, um, which swimming is so much feel oriented that I think everyone just simply had to come to terms with the fact that you were going to lose fitness. Um, but I think hold on to the fact that it does come back. And, and I think one of the lessons I have learned through my career and, and having been injured some, you know, some quite serious injuries and, and been sort of with my back up against it, fitness comes back. You just have to pick small goals. So as athletes get back in the pool, um, the first couple of weeks, don't even look at a pace clock, um, set yourself workouts and intervals, do a lot of drill work, um, get yourself to a point where it just feels good to be back in the water again. Um, uh, don't, don't like have a, have a short, a little bit of amnesia. Don't remember what times you were doing before. Don't look at the pace clock, go off. Don't go off intervals, go off of seconds rest, uh, go off of perceived efforts, um, that's not to say all of your swimming should be easy. You should almost, um, almost immediately start with variable paces and, and, you know, a 200 easy followed by four fifties solid, whatever that means to you on that day and, and take it as seconds rest. And over time, you're gradually going to see the pace clock start being your friend again. It does come back. It will take time. Um, unfortunately for people who are, probably less. Well, I, I guess I shouldn't say that for people that are, that are less, um, have, have a less deep swim history. Uh, I'd like to say that it's actually probably going to take longer because they don't have the same feel for the water, but it's funny for me as a swimmer throughout my career, whenever I've been out of the pool for a period of time, it's the strokes I wasn't very good at. Like my breaststroke feels the same now as it did when I was at Stanford. <laughs> I just did not, I'm swimming breaststroke and I was like, wow, I'm amazing. And, and if I try to swim backstroke, I was like, oh, this doesn't feel quite right. So, I mean, for people that don't have a rich swim background, I think a lot of them get back in the pool and they're like, yeah, this is kind of how I feel anyway. Their standard is somewhat different. So I think letting go of expectation as you get back into the water and being kind to yourself and patient with the return and the process, and it will come back. Yeah, and I think definitely avoiding the pace clock for, yeah, like you say, the two or three weeks is, is solid, solid advice. But yeah. Um, okay, well, how about, you've mentioned injuries, and I know you've had your fair share of injuries, but uh, what would be your advice to older athletes who are looking, who maybe are struggling, currently struggling with injuries or just trying to stay injury free, whether it's through training, whether it's through a race season, how do you, how have you coped with that? 
Well, I have found as I've gotten older that um, the things you just can't, you can't get away with things. Like, and, and I say now that I'm older, I didn't turn pro until I was 35. So I was already older than many before I even started the sport. Um, but when I was younger, I could get away with poor nutrition, less sleep, not taking care of the details as it pertains to um, strength work, personal care, foam rolling, stretching, all of those sorts of things. And now that I'm older, as I said, those things, that's the, that's the cost of admission. Like that's the price you pay um, if you want to continue doing what you're doing. Those things are so much more important and, and demand so much more of my focus. There are things that in, in all honesty, I should have been focused on from the start of my career because they're all very, very important. You talk about, you know, the, the sort of the pyramid and the little details at the top and in terms of, you know, how much sleep are you getting and hydration and nutrition? And those are things that I just didn't pay that much attention to, um, when I was younger, but there are things that now almost consume me, um, that they're absolutely essential. So those little details are no longer little, they're, they're massive. Right. Yeah. And so you've mentioned strength there, and I know that's a key part of your program and, uh, you, you work with a strength coach here in Boulder, but what kind of strength work are you doing now? What, what kind of, and the, and the kind of frequency and, and how important is that to you and your overall foundation? Yeah, it's, I think it's, it's critically important. And, and I was fortunate that all the way back at the beginning of my career, uh, even two, two years in, I started working with a dedicated strength coach back in 2007. So I was two years into my professional career and I was introduced uh, to a guy named Eric Kruzzi in Boston he was young and up and coming. He's now like the strength and conditioning coach for the New York Yankees. Like he's made it big time. He didn't know very much about endurance and it, it, endurance sports. Uh, he was definitely like sort of a ball focused um, strength coach, but but was sort of intrigued and we worked great together. And I started getting in the gym and just lifting heavy things, like not afraid to pick up heavy, heavy weight. And I think as I've gotten older, again, that's become way more important in terms of bone density, the hormonal response you get from lifting heavy weight, um, and just the ability to maintain muscle mass because it, it starts decreasing. I'm not like scientifically, I don't know, probably in your forties, but now that I'm 50 at a much more rapid rate. So Whereas a lot of athletes will maybe put a bigger focus on gym work sort of in the off season and through the winter, lifting heavy things is a part of my program all year long. Um, I leave that to the experts. That's why I work with a strength coach um, to help me sort of cycle, you know, how many days we're lifting heavy versus what days we're focused on more sort of stability and mobility and core work. Um, but I work with my strength coach one-on-one, -on -one, two times a week. And then every other day of the week, I have a program that takes anywhere between 20 and 40 minutes uh, where I'm doing sort of the unglamorous things with, you know, um, ankle mobility and hip mobility and, and, and stretching and, and core work and, and that sort of thing um, just to focus on those small details. So for me, it is a daily thing. And that's probably overwhelming to a lot of age group athletes who are busy and juggling jobs and families and, and everything. And I don't I don't have the time. 15 minutes of movement a day that is committed to taking care of your body in some way, shape or form is going to go a long way. So it doesn't have to be a lot of time, even 15 minutes 
when you get up in the morning doing a little bit of mobility, a warm up before you head out to go do your run at night before you go to bed, doing a little bit of stretching, um, really, really does go a very, very long way. Yeah, for sure does. Yeah. And it sounds like that is a massive part of your recovery too. Cause what I was going to ask you next is have you noticed the difference in recovery time from say maybe a higher intensity session as you're, as you're aging and you know, getting older, do you know, do you notice that? I actually, again, I'm a little unusual in that regard in that I, I don't have much awareness for that sort of thing. I know when I'm tired, but I tend to bulldoze my way through sessions, even if I am tired, which has gotten me into trouble before, which is why I lean heavily on my coach. And, you know, when she says, you know, you need an easier day, I take the easier day. I don't always love it, but I actually also find that as I get older, I don't take days off. I always, I have to move because if I just sit and don't move, that is the kiss of death. So for me, even in off season where people will unplug from swim, bike and run, I will keep moving. I will significantly downgrade my sessions, but I have to keep moving because I'm like, at this point, I'm like the tin man. If I stop moving, I sort of, I rust. (laughs) (laughs) So moving, you know, a lot of people use the expression, you know, movement is medicine. It's on the wall in our gym at Rally Sport. Movement is medicine. And and I believe in that 100%. So I think that active recovery becomes much, much more important. Um, and I, but I think it's important to move. So yes, if you have a session that tends, you find beats you up, the answer isn't necessarily to take a day off. It's to take maybe one or two easy days before you go and try to hit it hard again. Yeah. 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 And then that probably leads itself quite nicely to the topic of sleep. I know you are an early to bed type girl, but but how how does that play, factor in? You know, as as we're you know, it's all part of the same same game, right? But um, talk to us about sleep. I am a sleep like world champ. Like I think I could put that on my resume. I am a sleeping world champion. I <laughs> when we're full in training, like when I was preparing for Ultraman, we would eat dinner, and I would sort of look over at my husband. And it would be like 6.30 and he would just roll his eyes and be like, just, just go, just, just go to bed. And I could happily go upstairs and go to sleep at 6.30 at night and sleep until five in the morning. I do get up early. It's not like I'm sleeping till eight or nine in the morning. I do most days I'm awake between five and 6.00 AM um, just to get started with my, my first session of the day. Um, but I can easily go to sleep or at least go to bed at 6.30, seven o'clock. And I may lay in bed and be in my Norma Tech boots for an hour watch TV, which I know you're not supposed to have devices and whatnot, but it, it doesn't seem to impact my ability to go to sleep. Um, but I sleep like a light night for me is nine hours. I'm usually like between nine and 10 and a half hours of sleep a night. And, and, and I think it helps me. It, I think that's uh, in large part what does help me recover and be able to back up sessions more than I might otherwise um, right. is, is the, the, the rest which I do, I don't nap. I'm not a napper. I don't nap during the day. I just don't have time, but I do log significant sleep at night and it is critically important. Right. And then what about the nutrition element too? Cause that's obviously a big part of recovery, but, um, oh, that was a sigh. Yeah. It's <laughs> long been my Achilles heel. It, it's back going all the way back to when I was a swimmer. And it's not that I eat poorly. I've just never invested in nutrition the way that I need to. And I think it was the year 2016, 
I just went from one injury to the next, to the next, to the next, and, and worked with a doctor here in Boulder um, who did ran a, a bunch of tests uh, to try to figure out like what was what was going on. And it was a really kind of sobering conversation to go in and get the results and have her say to me, look, your body is essentially eating itself to stay alive. You are not you're not fueling properly. And as a result, your body is breaking down. And just sort of the visual of that, like literally my body is eating itself to stay alive. And that's why I'm breaking down was just, it was eye-opening and I really needed to get my act together. I started working with a nutritionist and I had worked with a nutritionist before, but I had never really invested. Um, but that conversation with my doctor was it was eye-opening and it was sort of a kick in the pants and, and got me thinking about nutrition in terms of, again, it's the cost of admission. You know, I'm a picky eater. I've always been a super picky eater. And, and my husband, Dave, loves to cook. He cooked me anything at any time of day or night, you know. Uh, but I'm just like, eh, no, I'll just, I'll have a bowl of cereal. Oh no, I'll just have some toast. Like without thinking about the the ramifications of that. And, and once I got more serious about nutrition, suddenly the injury cycle was broken. And, and that's not to say I don't get injured now, but I'm getting injured with a lot less frequency than I was because I'm able to give my body what it needs to, to repair itself. And, and so it's really, really important. And it's been something that I've, I've really struggled with just from lack of interest. Like I just am not you know, my husband wakes up and thinks about what's for dinner tomorrow night. And to me, it's like, okay, what's in the fridge? What can I eat that's easy and quick? And it's not about what's easy and quick. It's what's gonna, it's what's gonna help you recover from your last session and help you prepare for your next session. That's critically important, particularly again, as you get older, you just can't slack at those tiny details. Right. Yeah. And you obviously notice the, de you obviously notice the difference from one session to, to the next and one week to the next when it comes to what you're putting into your body and how you, and how you adapt and recover. But, um, Oh, sure. Like I pay the price. Like if I don't take care of nutrition on a day that I notice that more, I think than anything else, it's as a result of improper nutrition, um, that will drag me down after a hard session or a long session or, or what have you. So I know when I've screwed up. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. And so what would be your advice to obviously, you know, age groupers who maybe have a very busy work, family life, tr trying to fit in training. Nutrition is something that can, like you say, fall fall by the wayside, especially if you don't have a huge interest in it. So what would be your advice to, to people to to really hammer that home, you know, to make sure that they are um, looking after that side of things? Yeah, I think planning and it requires, you know, planning for the week because you get into the week and you get super busy and you just, you, again, you fall into that slippery slope of, okay, grab this bar, grab this, whatever. And it's not really good for you. So really taking the time on a Saturday afternoon or Sunday afternoon, when you have a little bit of quieter time or a little bit of downtime away from work, um, to really plan that out and do a grocery shop. And, and literally, even if you have to write out what your meal plan is for the week, um, another thing that's been super helpful for us, um, we get one of those meal services that you actually have to cook, but they send you all the ingredients. So we order the food online. It's all organic. Um, and it's, it's expanded the variety of foods that I eat. I get really stuck in this mold of, you know, there's, you know, probably seven things I would eat and that's including breakfast, lunch, and dinner. There was just no variety in the food I was eating. But now that we have this sort of service that for us has actually turned out to be pretty economical given the quality of the food um, and sort of the ease of it. So we get three dinners delivered 
And it's sort of been fun for us, like in our marriage, sort of like, and that sounds crazy, but now Dave gets home from work and we spend 30 to 45 minutes making dinner together in the kitchen versus before I was like, oh, just whatever, we'll have whatever. Um, but it's sort of time for us to connect at the end of the day. And it's been really, and, and it's better nutrition. So it's sort right. of expanded my culinary horizons. It's better nutrition for me. And it's been, it's been great for us because it's time we spend together. Right. So it's, yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> and that's just got me thinking about the fuel that you, the food you must have eaten for Ultraman. So give us the, give us an insight into some of the things that you ate during 22 hours and 48 minutes of racing. Yeah, it was, it was, again, I leaned very, very heavily on, uh, Ultraman veterans. I spoke to Hillary and, and talked a lot to Jordan Bryden, who, uh, won both Ultraman Canada and the Ultraman world championships last year. He's on my squad. Uh, and he was on my crew and I had gone in with a plan when I race Ironman, I do have a pretty sensitive stomach and I have, I use infinite nutrition and had always used hundred percent liquid nutrition, no solids at all. And that literally going into Ultraman, I was like, okay, that's my plan. And maybe I'll throw in a gel or some like gummy things. But really my focus was on sports nutrition and both Hillary, without even being prompted, Hillary's like, you're not planning on doing that, are you? Oh boy. <laughs> um, and even Jordan, the same thing. He's like, okay, good, but we're going to get all these other things um, and, and just have them just in case. And sure enough, at the start of day two, I ran into some problems um, nutritionally, like very early on, like the first 45 minutes of the bike, uh, 171 miles and my stomach was just upside down and not taking the nutrition I was putting in. And at that point, I really just had to surrender to the experience of my crew because Jordan had raced it. Julie obviously coached Jordan to winning Ultraman Canada and winning Ultraman Worlds. Um, and, and I really had to surrender to them and their perspective. Like when you're in the middle of a race, you don't have the perspective to think clearly. And so they just started, again, I surrendered and they said, eat this and I ate it. And they said, drink this and I drank it. Um, and they really took over for me and it made it very easy for me. It wasn't easy because I wasn't necessarily used to taking in a lot of solid foods, um, but it was, it was mission critical. So we had a variety of things. We tried to keep the solid foods um, simple Somebody else on my uh, crew, uh, another one of my squad mates, uh, Katie Keim, is a great cook. And so she did meals for all the crew, and she was sort of my chief food officer uh, for, the, <laughs> for the endeavor. Uh, but she made some... I would almost, they were like rice, almost like rice crispy treats, but she made them with honey instead of marshmallow. And so there, it was like just some rice crispy honey, and I'm not even sure what else was in there, but it was easy for me to just stick it sort of in my cheek and it was sort of dissolve. It wasn't stuff I had to really chew, but it was real food. And that really became important. I still used infinite um, and was still a big part of my success, but across three days, you cannot go without food for an Ironman. Absolutely. You, you can, you can do it. And if you simplify it, I'm a big believer in the simplest solution is the best. Um, but for Ultraman, you just, uh, again, like my nutrition before my sort of wake up, you can't survive on six foods. Like you can't live your life eating just six foods. Like you just, you need more variety. And so across the three days, yeah, we had some variety. There were some strange things in there. I, there were things I thought I'd want that I didn't touch. Uh, pickles, um, Pop-Tarts, I think were in my crew van. And I think my crew ate more of them than I did. Uh, um, they're a long ride winner. <laughs> Everybody yeah, loves a Pop-Tart. 
Swedish fish was another thing. Swedish fish was a big key for me in the 12 hour time trial. Um, and so I had an entire, my whole bento box was full of Swedish fish. And on day two, when my stomach was not feeling very well, I sort of upended my breakfast into my bento box of Swedish <laughs> fish and thought, well, I don't think I'm going to be eating any of those. <laughs> uh, so those went by the wayside as well. But uh, I had some little uh, like chocolate balls. Um, I ate, um, I don't even remember. I have a food log, but yeah, it was the things you think you're going to want. And that was the key also is just having a big variety of foods uh, because what you're often craving is what you need, whether it's salty things or sweet things or, or liquid things or, you know, what, what have you. Yeah. Okay. Didi, time for one last question. And it's a big one. It's what are you going to do for your 50th birthday? Oh, you know, it's a, it's a big year for both of us. We had our 20th wedding anniversary last month and both Dave and I turned 50. Um, our 20th anniversary was not quite the celebration we thought it would be thanks to the pandemic. Um, we're hoping by the time our 50th birthdays come around that maybe there's something fun that we could do. Um, but to like, like many things in life right now, it's to be determined. We're sort of at the mercy of what's going on in the world. And um, we'll be together, whatever it is. And, and whether we get to celebrate, you know, on that day, whether it's just a, a piece of birthday cake and we go do a big fat trip when things settle down to, to celebrate a, a milestone year. Uh, I think, yeah, we'll probably throw some cash around and go do something fun. <laughs> nice. Very well deserved. Okay. Well, thank you very much for joining us today. It's been a pleasure and good luck for the rest of the season. Thanks. Thanks for joining us for episode three of Fitter and Faster. We'll be back in two weeks when coach Matt Dixon from Purple Patch will be joining us to talk about training and racing. He'll be doing a deep dive on how to get the most from a time crunch training budget, how to get the most from a 10 hour training week and plenty more. Until then, happy training.